Welcome to Omaha Ria Radio, show number two with Michael Freed. You're listening to Omaha Ria Radio. We break down real estate investing in the Omaha metro area, large and small. If you are here to learn from local investors and skip all the BS, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the hundreds of others that have joined Omaria.com. Hey, everybody. This is Ted Kosh with Omaha Ria Radio. We're coming back at you live here in the, in the office. Not live when you listen to it, but live right here and right now. Live a few weeks ago. Okay. But you know, maybe, maybe about a week out. Yeah, so we're not going to talk dates then anyway. So uh, I'd like to introduce Owen Dashner. Oh, shucks. Thanks for having me, Ted. I'm I'm so privileged to be back here for the second recording. I'm I'm uh, surprised you didn't find anybody better in the meantime, but uh, thanks for scraping the bottom of the barrel. Come on, buddy. You're, you're the best there is. I mean, you, every time you go inside in front of those meetups, uh, so uh, your meetup is Omaha Real Estate Meetup, and you and uh, Colin Schwartz have that group together, and you kill it every time you're there in front of everybody. Well, I, thank you. I don't know about that, but uh, we do our best. I mean, you're, you've got we've got a tall shadow to follow with the uh, Omaha Ria. You've done an outstanding job putting a, a great uh, podcast together and uh, all the the monthly meetings and the luncheons and everything else. I know it's a lot of work, so we really we really appreciate you. Um, so thanks for having me. I appreciate the way Ben Catman he killed it. That was I. I and wish, Peter, Ben and Peter, Ben and Peter. Yeah. Uh, Ben kind of stole the show a little bit, but Peter willingly gave the spotlight to his son. So you could tell he's a proud, proud right. papa there. You could just see the smiles on his face. I yeah, like that. that was uh, I could have asked a million questions. Uh, I wish that I, I would love to interview those guys uh, or individually, but they're uh, yeah, they're phenomenal. Just the stuff he's done in a short amount of time and at such young age is is uh, is incredible. He's uh, built a really successful business and he had learned a lot from his dad. You can tell. But uh, yeah, both really sharp guys. So that, that was a lot of fun. So when I uh, started with DBG Realty Group uh, a little over five years ago, um, Ben was the whole reason that uh, they started uh, or we started property management. Oh, no kidding. He was so dissatisfied with the previous group is a story I heard. He backed that up and he approached uh, Jerry and them and said, hey, uh, you guys are awesome to work with. How about you start a property management company and manage my properties for me? Yeah. And you could tell, I mean, now that he's kind of brought that, uh, function back in house. So they have their own property management team, but you know, as he kind of went through and described it, I don't, I asked him questions about that too. And you could tell that he, you know, third party property management's a hard business. It's a hard business to run. It seems like nobody's ever happy. It's slim margins. And for him to give kudos to, to DBG, that was uh, or an orange, uh, that was, uh, you can tell, um, a, a good experience for him, um, until he brought it back in house. So I, uh, I really, um, when I, when I met him at that time, I really looked up to him because I'm like, this guy's in his twenties. And at the time I thought he was like 24, 25 to be hundred percent honest with you. But I'm like, this guy's in his twenties and he's got almost a hundred properties. He's killing it. And yeah. And you know, what's <laughs> funny about him too is like, uh, he's just, he, he is who he is and he doesn't care. Like he's always got the hat on backwards and flip flops. And, uh, that's, what's cool about him. He doesn't try to pretend to be something he's not or big time people. So yeah, it's that Omaha Nebraska mentality. Right? There you go. Yeah. Yep. Hey, so, uh, I was kind of listening back in our, our past podcast and, uh, cause I wanted to 
get some takeaways and learn a little bit from that. And you and I chatted too, but there was something that uh, you said that really stood out to me. And you said that every week you try to uh, go do a, a meeting or a lunch with an individual that you don't know Mm -hmm. and, and maybe get a takeaway out of each one of those or just expanding yourself. Can you elaborate just for a minute on that and like why you did, why you do that? What's your mentality on that? Uh, and also maybe tell us about your last your last meeting that you had, assuming that you had one in the last week. Sure. Um, yeah, this kind of goes back to my recruiting days. So when I was um, just getting into you know a normal jobby job, I was a headhunter. So I did IT recruiting, eventually into corporate HR and recruiting. And one thing I did was kind of an exercise I went through. I would always try to remember, and in headhunting, that's basically you uh, are trying to place someone at a company or the company hires you to go out and recruit someone specifically for them. So in order to do that, referrals are always huge, right? So you get a really good candidate. You always want to find out who else do you know? What, who, who do you think highly of? Who did you work with? So there's a series of questions I usually asked when I was in that business to try and get referrals. And over time, I started to develop kind of a tree of referrals. So I would trace back placements that I made and figure out who referred me to that person. And invariably, it was what I, there's a term called super connectors, right? It's people that know everybody and everybody knows somebody like that. They just seem to have a natural knack for networking and have a huge uh, group of people that seem to know them for whatever reason. And I would get, I would go back and I would build this tree and it looked like, you know, you just draw a line. It would go back to the same person a lot of times. So I had groups of these, there were like clusters of super connectors. And so I kind of had that idea. I'm like, I need to find people like that and, and really get to know them and become part of their, you know, center of influence because opportunities are just everywhere with that. So that kind of led me down the path of applying that no matter what I was doing, whether it was, you know, recruiting work or real estate, you just never know what opportunities are going to come to you as a result of people you meet. Right. And, and I started doing that and it became a habit. And I just thought, you know what? I'm only limited by the amount of people that I know and the, and out of that will come opportunities. So I think it's really easy to get in a habit of sitting behind a desk and, and looking at your computer and doing things and feel like you're busy and working on your business. But really the opportunities are in the people. So I made that a part of my practice and said, okay, I am going to do this as, as a conscious decision and make it part of just my thing. So I'm not, going into that with any really special agenda. I just want to meet people that are interested in this business and maybe there's something I can give them to, you know, help them get kickstarted, get the courage to go out. I meet with newer investors all the time and I get, I get something out of that as well. So I like the mentoring and kind of the giving back thing. Um, so it kind of like fills me up a little bit, even though I'm not necessarily taking anything monetarily or, or, you know, opportunity wise away, you never know where that's going to go. Right. So I'm not, I don't expect anything out of it, but five years from now, pe- people might remember, you just don't know what you're doing for someone else by being there and talking to them. I think that mentality is the reason that you've had such um, extraordinary success for the last few years, because uh, in past you talked about how you're kind of a hermit uh, and, and, and held back. And, but since then you've done so much giving back. If you check out your bigger pockets profile, you have over 700 or 800 uh, notes that you've done to people's posts. Like, Every single time somebody is new come to town, they're like, 
you're the name they know because of bigger pockets. And I think that's why your popularity has just blossomed so quickly is because your give back and your true open heart to, to helping and the passion that you have out there is why, what draws so many people to you and want, and want to know you and, and be a part of what you're doing. Oh, thanks. I, I'm not great at taking compliments like that, but I, I do appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I know when I was working in, you know, kind of the corporate world and trying to figure out how can I, I, I really don't, I'm not, I'm just dissatisfied and I want to make a go of this, but I also didn't want to tell people like, Oh, Hey, by the way, I have this side hustle going on. I'm really focusing on in real estate. And I just always felt funny about that with my employer. So I felt like I was kind of hiding my light for lack of a better term and my interests. And I just felt sheltered with what I could actually do with that. And then once I finally made the conscious decision, I want to make, I am going to make this my business and I'm going to, I'm going to step away from something I'm not passionate about. Once I did that, I felt like the reins were off. Right. And I could just go out and meet with people and kind of like be myself more and, and really, uh, focus on building that business and, and networking more. So well, I tell you what, you know, we talk about our gold nuggets and that was my golden nugget out of that last podcast is that you making that one little piece that you popped in that last podcast. Oh, so I, I appreciate that so much. Um, well, uh, with talking about the golden nuggets, I think it's time for today's golden nugget. Uh, so today uh, I've got this is for you direct mail aficionados out there. So anybody that's in the uh, marketing to motivated sellers business, which I know there's a lot of people like that. You've probably heard of direct mail for those that do use direct mail. Um, I want to give you a quick tip of how to apply this specifically in Omaha a lot of times you can buy a list from list source, other list providers and uh, Melissa data. There's several of them out there. You can buy lists of property owners that are specific to things that you're looking for types of house, age of home, how long it's been owned, what the assessed value is. There's a lot of different things that you can uh, make a list of and you can buy that data. And those lists, when you get thousands of records, they're priced per record. So you can really rack up a pretty big chunk of money just buying the data. My tip is the Douglas County assessor has an office called the GIS office. And there's a guy there and I, I hopefully he's still there. He's named Michael Goodwillie. And he is in charge of a database that the Douglas County assessor has. So if you go to the assessor website and you type in, you can do a query on that database, but there's a spreadsheet that you can buy for 50 bucks and you can download the entire, the entire, uh, not just household, but uh, every type of property in Omaha that's on the tax roll. And you can download that whole thing for $50. And normally, if you did that, I mean, there's over 100,000 records on there. That would cost you a lot of money. And people continuously do this because they re need to refresh the data. It's going to be old a year from now. But you can call them and get and for 50 bucks, you can get that entire thing. So you can tell them what parameters you want on the spreadsheet. So I want to know the property address, the mailing address, the owner name, the property type, the number of units, the assessed value, the last sale date, and the last sale price. If you get those things and put them on a spreadsheet, you're off and running. Because then you can sort it, you can filter it, you can only focus on residential, you can find houses that are less than 150 grand or whatever your criteria is. Or if you're focused on multifamily, you can, you can only focus on, or you can drill in and say, I only want to look at everything that's two units and above or two to 24 or whatever it is. Every it's awesome. Every multifamily starting from the lowest tax bracket up. Exactly. <laughs> Cause then you know which ones are in, are in disarray. Yeah. And, and it's, <laughs> and it, so 
with that, I just want to give that information out there uh, because I it's going to save people money. If any, if one person out of this has been buying lists routinely and they're buying in Omaha, this is going to save you thousands of dollars over the years. So hopefully somebody is able to use this. Hopefully not everybody knows about it, but, uh, that's awesome. It's a great tip. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Um, yeah. So with that, we have a special guest today. I'm excited. And his name is Michael Freed. So Michael, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me here today, guys. Um, it's a real privilege to be here and talk to you. I mean, a lot of people look up to you in the community, and uh, it's just uh, it's a treat for me to be here and have a chat with you. Everybody looks up to Owen in this community. It's great. I'm not that tall. So. <laughs> well, just give you a few uh, little nuggets. Uh, I'm going to just keep on dropping that nuggets line over and over again about Michael. Uh, so Michael is a father of three sons. We're going to get all this a little bit deeper. He's a 23-year electrician and a master electrician. He's been investing for about one and a half years. Michael currently has eight doors, and he has one investment group that's established that has these doors uh, combined with him, but he's also creating a second investment group, so technically two. And he's also currently a realtor at DVG Realty Group at KW Elite. So it sounds like you're a busy man, and I maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of your background uh, for, for everybody that's listening that doesn't know you, and then tell us a little bit how you got involved with real estate. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm an electrician or have been an electrician, I'm still trying to lose that identity, as you can see. It's kind of difficult when it's been part of my life for 23 years. And really, I just walked away from that industry probably seven months ago, six, six seven months ago. So uh, I'm still kind of evolving in my own mind of what am I. Um, but as a master electrician, uh People sometimes tend to think, oh, you know, working on houses, changing panels, doing, doing work like that. I really did not work in the residential electrical and, you know, field. I, I really focused on like large scale data centers and, uh, you know, large, uh, industrial and commercial type projects. So the, the type of work I did is, you know, if somebody's like, oh, hey, what do we, what do we need to do here? Change. I, I know how to do that kind of work, but it's, that's, it's a total different, Total different ball game I worked in. How did you decide that you wanted to pursue that trade? When so you started when you were in your early twenties? Is that about right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, started in my early twenties. Um, I my brother in law had talked to me about it quite a bit. He was an electrical engineer. I really did not enjoy sitting in a classroom and studying and engineering. Uh, I may be good at math and and that sort of thing, but it just that was not a treat to me to sit there and study in a classroom all the time. So, uh, by getting into the electrical field, I could learn with my hands. I could learn, you know, in the field. And, and that's, I like to get in and do stuff and, and learn the hard way, I guess you could say. So, so 23 years as an electrician, what, uh, so that's a, that trade right now in particular is in such high demand it's impossible to find a good electrician now. Right. So I think the, the question everybody would ask would be like, that's such a good business. You've done, you've, you paid your dues. You're a master electrician. You can do anything in that. You can probably just print money. You could literally work as much as you wanted to. Why real estate? All, all of that is true. Uh, there is a huge demand for electrical workers in general. Uh, I, 
had a really successful career. I, I was working for one of the tech giants. I worked for a local electrical company, but we had contracts with one of the tech giants that's here in the Omaha area. And, um, it, I could make a, a large amount of money doing it, but I worked six and seven days a week the last six, seven years, seven years probably. And I burned out. It, it, Took a toll on your life, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I spent more time away from my family than I should have. Um, I wish I would have spent more time with my sons. Uh, they were all like in high school at the time. So uh, I guess I've always built stuff for other people. And now I feel like I really want to move out on my own and build something for me and for my family. Um that's so it, it was tough walking away. There's still a huge demand. I see postings for jobs or I get hit by people all the time. Um, my company's like, Hey, if you wanted to come back, make sure you call us. Um, they're my co- company I was with for forever. So it's, it's, uh, it was a tough change. It was, it's a radical change and it was really difficult to, to make that move. Okay. Let me ask you, um, I, I take it really, I've really been doing a massive conscious effort for family. I got, I got really young kids, a lot younger than, um, you, I started late and, you know, I, I've been doing these separate little things to try to make sure I'm part of it. You know, on Saturdays, I want to be at all the sports. If it's rugby, baseball, football, soccer, whatever the kids are doing, I want to be at it. And then when I get home and, and you're going to hear me talk about this in pretty much most of my podcasts, that's, 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 that's where my one thing really lies. But do you, do you feel that, um, do you, uh, have any regrets on the amount of time you worked? Do you feel like you weren't there for the, the kids and did that play a role in, in, in the switch? I know I'm going deep there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say yes. Cause this is a passion. This is a really like a passion part for me. So that's, that's why I always kind of want your feedback on that. There's plenty of time to work in your life and your kids are only a certain age for a certain period of time. And, uh, to some degree, I will say, I feel like I missed some of that, especially their high school years. Um, just, I, I worked so much 10, 12 hour days. There was high demand. I'm, I'm probably a bit of a workaholic, kind of a grinder. Once I get into something, you know, I, I work at it and I did coach football. I coached flag football. Um, I, uh, tried to be there as much as I, I could with them when I could, but, it wasn't enough and I regret it. So word to the wise, anybody out there, if you've got kids, there's plenty of time to work, spend some time with your family. Do you, uh, I mean, was the money so great that it, at the time you're like, I, I just can't pass up on it. Um, to some degree, uh, you know, yeah, the money is great, but when they were young, I, I passed up overtime all the time. I, especially when they were young. I, I think I let go of that once I worked up to a point in my career where I was a lot more important or I, I held a much higher position. And then, um, I, you know, I got this, this position as a commissioning manager with my company for, like I said, a tech giant, which I signed an NDA to, you know, I'm not supposed to say their name, but Google. yeah, something like that. Um, so, I kind of, it kind of became part of my identity. I was, 
in charge of 77 people at this facility, um, making sure that the end product, the end result, everything, everything worked properly and that the customer, the client was happy and kind of a high maintenance client. They, they have really high expectations, perfection. And if it's not 99.99% perfect, you know, you got to get back in there and, and do, do some more work. I lost track of my, you know, time where I, I felt this is extremely important. I have to be here. I probably on hindsight didn't have to be there all the time. You know, I think the, the toughest part about being a parent, not the toughest, but, uh, one thing that is a common denominator is I think we all judge ourselves by the last bad thing that we did. Right. And, and we tend to forget all of the positive things and the building blocks that we've given our kids. So, um, it's, it's easy to be harsh on yourself for past decisions and, and play kind of, you know, Monday morning quarterback, uh, on what you did or didn't do. But I think you do the best you can with what you've got. And, uh, you know, the good news now is, I mean, you've recognized that too. It's not like, you know, it doesn't sound like you're an absentee dad. You just, you, you were working hard, you were making, providing for the family. So, you know, don't be too hard on yourself about that. But, um, let's maybe talk about, uh, what, what sparked the interest in real estate? Like, how did that happen? Was it a person, a book? Uh, what, what was kind of the impetus of, uh, of starting down that path? Okay. So, I grew up in the 80s, and some people may like what I'm about to say. Some people may not. But, you know, Trump was a big thing in the 80s when I was a kid. And I always, I was like, wow, like, look at this guy, big real estate mogul. He was great self-promoter. And uh, throughout that period of time when I was a kid, I just thought, wow, I want to go into real estate someday. And I remember I did go to college for a short bit um, before I moved into the trades. And... I, the first class I took was a real estate class, and that's really what I wanted to do. But I don't know how I got sidetracked and and pulled into the electrical world. Um, there was just opportunities at the time that I jumped on. And um, in the background, I always thought, oh, golly, I really should look at buying a rental. I should really look at getting into the real estate world. And it just um, so... Uh, my ex-wife and I were just not on the same page with that sort of thing. So that made it really difficult. And the great thing is we were on the same page with kids and family and all that other stuff. Uh, and we're still friends today. We get along well, but, um, we were not on the same page with what we wanted to do with, uh, business and our money as far as rentals or real estate would go. Can I ask how, how much money did you walk away from? Like, uh, like obviously, some people walk away to make big money. And I don't know what a master electrician makes and working for a big tech company of any sort. But like, you know, people are like, Hey, you know, I'm making $40,000 a year. It's a, it's a scary transition. You know, how much were you actually making? If I, if you don't mind me asking. Okay. So I'll say this. I, <laughs> I think a lot of people jump into real estate because they want, you know, you hear freedom. I want to make big money. I want passive income. Um, at my job, I was making $170,000 a year the last few years that I was there. Uh, and, good money. <laughs> and, and there's the benefits and the retirement benefits on top of that, that, that that's not counting my retirement benefits and some of the money that was going into pensions. 
I was doing really, really well. So it was tough to walk away from that. I kind of had to, I changed my life over the last year and a half, uh, prior to leaving to where I, I could live on less money. And I didn't know what I was planning to do. I, I didn't know I was planning to quit that great job, but. So you haven't replaced your entire, uh, $200,000, uh, package with eight doors. That's not a, that's not a thing. I thought we were, I thought this was going to be like the exclamation point on me. Like I'm out, I'm done. I did it six months. I think that's what everybody expects when they get into real estate. No, no. In fact, uh, we're, uh, those, those doors, one of those doors is solely mine. And that, that's the first, the first door I had, uh, the, the other seven doors that I have with my partners, we 100% reinvest everything back in. And that's the plan going forward. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, I need to figure out how to monetize it and actually make an income because right now I only make, uh, the whatever real estate commissions I get off of, uh, sales or purchases. So, on that topic. So let's talk about, um, I think a lot of people, you're a little unique in that, um, you had a, a, you know, fairly substantial income. Uh, you're in your mid forties now. Correct. Um, you had a successful career in a very desirable trade and you, so a lot of that is kind of a win in most people's books, but you weren't satisfied with that. You had an itch you couldn't scratch. Is that fair to say with the real estate thing? You had kind of an early interest in it, never got fulfilled, went through some challenges with uh, being on the same page with your, your ex-wife. And, uh, what, so how do you manage to, like, I know you mentioned that you're kind of living, you know, conservatively right now. Sounds like you may have saved up some money. Is that, did that help with getting started? I know you also mentioned there's some partners involved. So can you talk to us about that? Kind of like, what's the evolution of, of you got started? How, um, what did that look like? What were you working with? Um, that kind of thing. Okay. So probably two years ago, I, I, I wasn't, I was making a lot of money. Okay. I was making a lot of money every week. Um, and I was, you know, satisfied with that money, but I wasn't really being responsible with that money. In my opinion, I didn't rack up huge debts. Um, but I, I did, I had a few debts. I had bought a truck and I typically, I was a frugal type of guy. I don't, I, I drove crappy vehicles and I would just set money aside and save money. And, uh, people would make fun of me because, uh, like you, you're in charge around here. Why are you driving that thing? I, I just didn't care. You know, um, I thought that when I first met him too, he, he pulled up in his Prius and I was like, I was like, that doesn't seem like a Michael Freed car. <laughs> so, so, uh, last summer I, I had a 2017 Nissan truck actually. Okay. So I, two years ago, I, I, I read that Dave Ramsey book, the total money makeover, yeah, life, just life changing book just because, and I'm like, Oh God, what am I doing? Like I, I've got a few debts. I've got a truck payment and it sounds silly, but I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pay everything off. So I took six months. I paid off every debt I had. I paid off my truck loan that was, that I just, you know, had for like a year and I paid all that off. And then last summer, uh, you know, driving around, I got this paid off truck last summer. I'm like, you know what? Uh, I knew the prices for used vehicles was really high and I just, I cleaned it up, got it detailed. I put an advertisement out and, um, some guy called from Texas and offered me like $3,000 less than I paid three years and 60,000 miles earlier. And I'm like, okay, yep. Flying up here. I'll give you the keys. Just bring cash. He brought a sack of money, handed it to me. And I, I 
gave him the keys to my truck and he drove it back to Texas. Um, I took that money. I bought this Prius for like 5,000 bucks. And then the rest of it, I, I set in the bank. I'm like, I, I'm going to use this for real estate, but I'm not sure how or what yet. Quick, funny story. So, uh, this is a few years ago, probably four or five. I had a, I had a seller call me. His dad was, um, had terminal cancer and, uh, wasn't able to keep up with the house anymore, needed to sell it. It was, uh, actually not far from where we are right now. Um, but didn't want very much for it. Uh, and it was like $40,000, right? This is five years ago. So I was telling him, I'm like, yeah, well, I'll buy it cash, uh, as is make it easy. You know, all he has to do is just worry about where he's going to go next, you know, super simple. So, few weeks go by title company has paperwork they're getting it ready and so forth. And he calls me and he's like the son and he's like, so how are, uh, how are we doing this? And I'm like, what, like, what do you mean? I or at the title company. He's like, no, like the cash. I'm like, I will wire it or cashier. I'm like, uh, what, what he's like, no, I mean like I, like, can I just have it in a bag or something? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, what? <laughs> like we were, he was fully expecting me to bring like a satchel for a full of $40,000 to the closing table. So that deal didn't go through, uh, cause he was stuck on that and didn't want anybody to know that, uh, he was afraid that his dad's money was going to get, um, there's a look back period when somebody goes on Medicaid or something like that. And he was afraid that they were going to find out he sold the house and the son had the money and this and that. I'm like, Okay, like this is a bag of cats here. Where's the sack of money? Right, right. Where's the sack of money? So, uh, anyway, sorry to interrupt. Uh, it was funny. He's, I'm like, all right, you got the cash. And he pulled out like a paper bag and pulled out a couple stacks of hundreds and had an, we met in a bank. And I, uh, handed, okay, I was, is it in the back of the truck and you're counting them out? Like, <laughs> I handed it to the cashier. She counted it quick. Nice. And she said, it's all there. And I said, here's the keys. I was just picturing you like flipping through it like a buyer here. Nope, nope, one short. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's fast forward. Can you tell us about your first investment property? Yeah. So uh, my first investment property, uh, I went on a trip to Las Vegas and I was having a good time. It was February 2020. Really, I was there for business. There was a safety conference that I went to, and I took uh, a safety conference in Las Vegas. A safety okay. conference in Las Vegas. Yeah, all the good conferences yeah. are in Las Vegas. I, and uh, so I, I was there to study lockout, tag out. Pretty exciting subject. But I took a book, and it was John Schaub's um, John Schaub's Building Wealth One House for the Time, which great book, I oldie but a goodie, very good. And I probably spent more time by myself. I read that whole book in just a couple days uh, when I wasn't doing safety conference stuff. And then I flew back home and like two weeks later, I got really sick. And when I say really sick, it was just like lung pains. It was um, shortness of breath, waking up in the middle of night. Anyways, very strict precautions at the time with uh, the tech giant that I worked at. You, You had to be gone for three weeks. They wouldn't test me to let me know that it was COVID. I'm pretty sure it was, but I was kind of a grinder and I wanted to work. And uh, so I'm like sitting there on the couch and I had had this idea about building a studio apartment in my house for a year. I'd been thinking about it and I hadn't done it. And I was sitting there bored and I'm like, 
oh, to hell with this. I jumped up, I went downstairs, and I just started ripping drywall off the wall and started putting a plan together. Like, how am I going to build a kitchen? How am I going to, how am I going to build a bathroom? And, um, so my first property is a house hack. I built a studio apartment in my house. It's very nice. It's actually a really nice place. Um, it's in Papillion, but that's my first property. I, I rented it out immediately and, um, I got a six month check, like set in my hand. Here's the first six months rent. Thank you very much. And I think I, I am under market rent, but, um, got a good tenant and, um, my, my house payments almost fully handled. So you know, most people, when they're lonely, they get on like Tinder or something like that. But it, I mean, you could also build a studio apartment in your house and have someone move into it to hang out with that. So that's maybe you moved that Tinder date into there and she paid six months ahead. There we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, so, okay. So you got the studio apartment up and running. Um, you got it rented out. Sounds like you got a whole bunch of money in advance. Awesome. So success, right? Like that was check, check the box there. What was it like living with somebody right there? Right. Like they knew you owned the house. Right. So you are you walk outside to your truck and they're like, hey, Michael. And you're like, Kr. like, I, I always felt when it because people are like, oh, house hacking. That's the way to go. But is it weird? Well, a couple things. Full disclosure. Um, so I I had a video made of of the, the house and I was going to I shared it with my family and I'm like, all right, I'm going to post this on Facebook. And my brother, he's a microbiologist. He lives alone. He just sold his house. My brother's like. I want to live there. And, I, and I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm like, all right, well, why don't you come check it out? And then I'm like, are you sure? Because you know, it's a brother, you know, would you guys get along anyways? He's been a great roommate. Okay. Got it. All right. Every once in a while, like we hardly see each other. We ever, you know, we both do our own thing, live our own lives. Every once in a while I'll be hanging out outside and he'll like by the fire pit and he'll come outside and we'll, we'll sit and chat a bit, but no, it, that's fine. But I am the type of person that I've got no shame. I'm fine with weird people in my space or whatever. <laughs> so it'll be interesting when he does move out. I don't think I'll have much of a problem with it. So is that at the point where you decide to get the next investment property or is this when you started forming your, your partnerships or what? how did that look? Well, at that point, um, I, I, I jumped back into working, you know, all the time, constantly. I mean, I was still working. I was building that apartment while I was still working six and seven days a week. Um, but I had a, a group of friends and they had an investment club, an LLC or whatever, and they pooled money. What's and, an investment club? So I've well, never, I've never heard of that way term. back in the day. Yeah. I think they had investment clubs and people would, I remember those. Yep. There were, there was investment clubs and I'm not a history expert, but it's kind of like in the early days before like mutual funds and, and all that sort of thing. Existed. Oh, so it wasn't like a bar and it's, and, and this is like, and this is just a place people can met and say, Hey, we're going to put money together and, mm -hmm. and then we're going to go dance. <laughs> it, basically you get together, you talk about your investments and then you drink. Okay. So you go like, out an, like an old boys network. Yeah. I like to have those, but just have it be cigars, it's like a book club, cigars and whiskey. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, this, so this group, they, they were friends of mine, people. I mean, the one guy, my main partner, Ed, he, he, uh, we went to kindergarten together. So we go way back 40, 41 years now. Um, they dealt a lot with stocks and that sort of thing, but they had bought one house 
And that house outperformed everything that they did. They had it for like six years and sold it and made a bunch of money. And it was probably, you know, towards the end of last summer when they sold it. And, you know, I started having this thought in my head. I was like, you know, I, I thought we should get together and pool our money, but screw stocks. Like we should buy real estate. And I started talking to him about my idea. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to call like a meeting. So he called his partners together and, and I went down there and the money that they had each individually made off of just that house, they said, okay, they'd each earmark that for this, this new club. That's kind of jumping ahead. But I, I told him, look, look, you bought one house. You had it for six years. Here's what, here's what you made. That's not always going to be the case, but imagine if we pool our money together and we buy 10 houses. Now imagine if we buy a hundred. Okay. What if we buy 500 houses? I want to buy 500 houses and then we could make the cash flow off of that, sell off packages of them, have bigger, you know, sacks of money, so to say. Satchels. Satchels of money to play with, you know? So, um, they, they love the idea. So basically we're sitting there, chicken wings and beer, having this conversation mm, and they're like, wings. when do we start? So, um, <laughs> I'm like, well, I sold my truck and I got a sack of money, a satchel. <laughs> it was a sack um, of money. So uh, let's start setting it up. So, you know, for a month or two or three, we kind of, you know, putts around. We didn't make much progress. Busy working. You know, sometimes you get an idea, you talk about it, you drink too much. And then it's like, hey, weren't we talking about building this? So then uh you know, I talked to my partner, Ed, and I said, hey, it's time to get serious. Let's talk to the lawyer. Let's get the LLC set up. And we kind of targeted January 1st so that we have like a clean tax break. And um, that's that's how we proceeded. We talked to the lawyer and set that up. So that was January 1st, 2021? Yes, correct. And how, how many partners are uh, part of that LLC? So you, so you mentioned Ed. Uh, you said, you said yep. he's kind of the main one. There's six of us. Six uh, A few of them. So Ed's a pharmacist. Um, and the other partners are primarily pharmacists okay. as well. So. Uh, so how did you decide who was doing what in that LLC? I think this is some, this is an interesting topic for people, especially those that are kind of trying to get started. And they're like, they have other people that are they like, or they're interested in maybe investing in real estate, but they don't really know how to piece it together. Who's going to do what, how do you figure that out? How do you structure the LLC? Maybe talk on that a little bit. Okay. So here's the thing. This is a new venture for me. Uh, and my thoughts were, I, I'm the one I want to learn this business and I want to make a full transition at some point was my thoughts. So I thought I will primarily take everything on acquisition, you know, managing. I managed a lot of construction projects over. I mean, I managed a lot of people and a lot of projects and a lot of processes, built systems, all that stuff. I felt good about the management side. It was more about deal finding and that sort of thing. Um, in fact, I probably would have a hard time sharing the control of oversight and management of the projects just because of my background. Um, was it more or less like just shut up and give me your money and I'll handle everything kind else? Of, yes. Yes. <laughs> but how do I, if, if we're doing an equal equity split on this, uh, how do I monetize this and get paid out of it? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because I want to get paid, but I, I do want to like put food on the table or something. That's 
but I still had a great job. So I just wanted to get this going and get a proof of concept. Like, hey, we can pool our money together and we can make a bunch of money off of real estate, whether it's cash flows, uh, building equity into a project or just long-term appreciation. Super cool. I think a, a lot of... um you know, a lot of times newer investors are looking for the unicorn, which is a private lender, and they think people are just like hiding in caves with uh, satchels of money that uh, are willing to dole it out, but only to the right person. So it's interesting. So you already knew these people, right? Or at least you knew Ed and he knew some of the other pharmacists. Is that kind of how that worked? Or you all knew each other from the investment club? So Ed would have pool parties. And so I've met most of these people. And actually, another one's a good friend of mine. So uh, I had met everybody a, a, a few times. So I think the message here is it sounds like this just happened naturally out of relationships that you already had and they knew you were a good guy and had a, had a really uh, passionate interest in real estate, trusted you to do something right with their money and like the idea of real estate. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. That's correct. And and the way we established our our group, our LLC, you know, everybody, they send out on DocuSign, everybody signs for each property. Um, we're all kind of personally liable, so to say, the way that the way it's structured. So I share pictures of the rehab, like, you know, we've set up a system where here's the rehab, here's what's going on, here's the progress. You can see what's going on, very open with all the money. And actually, I don't like to sit around and handle accounting type stuff. So so Ed and another partner are handling that sort of thing. I just funnel, you know, invoices and receipts through them and, and they handle that sort of thing. So I'm not doing everything. I don't like that tedious paperwork yeah. crap. Now, is that, uh, did you guys decide to kind of keep the, uh, cash flow in the business for the time being, or are you guys taking distributions every month or how does that, how's that look with your rentals? Your yours are all rentals, correct? All single family houses. Well, there there's one property. Um, so we've only bought four properties. They're all within the last two months, basically. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, because it took a little bit to get going. So we started looking for deals, looking for deals, looking for deals. And I just would analyze, analyze, analyze. Um, currently, uh, we've got uh, one property that's uh, an over under duplex. It's going to be a full rental. We've got 50% rented out. We're just wrapping up the, uh, the remodel. And here in like two weeks, we'll probably put the bottom unit up for rent. What part of town is that one in? Uh, that is kind of... Uh, Benson esque. It's just a little bit off of Ben. It's like North 48th Street. Isn't everything north of Dodge Benson now? That's what everybody it's, seems to throw around. Well, yeah, it, it sounds a lot better if you just say Dundee adjacent. I, I've had lots of people tell me, uh, I don't want to be in North Omaha. Um, I want to be in Benson. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. but that's, you know, it's all Benson now. Talk to us about uh, how you found these deals. Like, what uh, were these on the MLS? Were they through word of mouth? Did you find them? Like, what what was your approach for uh, getting these babies locked up? We'll do. Um, just one second though. To to back up, um, one of the properties we were going to rent out. I think we're going to flip that uh, and then unload it uh, just to, to redeploy that capital on something else. How did you decide to do that? Is that a like? Was this one where you're like, eh, this is not really the, we don't want to hang on to this as part of our portfolio. Or was it just such good margins that you're like, let's just take that cash, reinvest it. Really? I bought that property just for like a learning experience and kind of build a relationship with the wholesaler. Um, I don't think the margins are going to be great, 
but I am learning a ton off of it. Um, like I said, like I hadn't worked in residential construction, so I'm learning a lot on this particular project. And I just thought, well, our exit strategy, we could sell it, recoup the money and then put it into something else. And it's in an area. I just, I don't think it's going to be that profitable of a rental. So got it. Okay. Um, no, so let's, uh, let's talk about the finding. How did, how did that happen? Okay. So, well, um, did you build another as, as, uh, studio as, onto your house? As uh, Ted mentioned, <laughs> I, I, as Ted mentioned, I'm now a, a realtor. So, um, it was probably mid January, you know, we had set up this LLC and it was probably mid January. And I, um, I was told, Hey, this, this project is kind of winding down and we've got a new project. We want you to go run and it's downtown. Um, you've probably seen the cranes down there. It's like off 18th and Harney, the justice center, the juvenile. Detention. I was, yep. The yep. juvenile. Deten- yep. So I was supposed to go run that project and I walked down there and I walked around it and I thought, this is going to be a nightmare. I, I was burned out already, but I'm like, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. So I, I drove back to the, the project, the, uh, the super secret installation. And I was parked outside the security gate and I was sitting there. I was like, I, I can't even drive into here. I, I don't want to do this. I'm done. I'm sick of this. And I had been reading book after book after book on real estate and the one thing. And, um, I, I just remember cause I was, I just finished reading the one thing before I pulled into that. And I was like, what's the one thing that I can do to make myself more satisfied in my job? And I was like, I could quit it. Leave it. <laughs> so I, I called a buddy of mine uh, that I trust. He was kind of a protege. Like I, he was an apprentice under me when I ran my first little project. And now he's a big time, you know, scheduler and superintendent over at the Facebook project. Um, anyways, I called him. I trust his judgment. He's super cautious. Um, and he talked me through it. He's like, well, what do you got for money sitting around? How much do you need to live? You know, um, all this. And he's like, what are you doing? Like, sounds like you're good. Why don't you just go in there and tell him you quit? And I was like, you're right. Okay. I'm going to do this. I'm like, thanks. And I hung up. I drove in the gate and walked in and had that conversation. Were you, how nervous were you? Um, I, oh, I was super nervous. Actually, I had a little bit of a, a nervous breakdown because I, I was sitting there and I, I told him, yeah, I'll go run this project for you. I already told him I would do it. And I probably had tears coming out of my eyes. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, but I don't want to do this. And it was tough. Like I did have a nervous breakdown. I just don't want to say how bad it was. I, I was sitting there. I was just like, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. I don't want to go run this project. I, I need to go like, and, um, my, the main project manager at my company, He's like, what are you going to do? And I said, you know what? I've been thinking about it, but I'm going to, I'm going to study. I'm going to get my real estate license. I'm going to start investing. And that's, that's going to be my focus. And so, um, he said, well, this job doesn't wrap up for six more weeks. Why don't you hang out? You know, you can finish managing to the end and then, um, uh, you know, study for your real estate license now. And then you'll have a head start. I'm like, okay, thank you. So I, I did that. I started studying for my real estate license and then I left that position a few more weeks later. I, I took my test, passed it, 
joined DVG Realty Group, and I had been studying real estate and reading books for quite a, quite a while. Well, then, so deal finding. To go back to your question from like 12 minutes ago, um, I started just analyzing deals. I was analyzing deals from wholesalers, analyzing deals on the MLS. And um, some of the deals that I was finding on the MLS, I thought looked better than some of the stuff I was seeing from some of the wholesalers, to be honest. Um, not always the case, but I thought, you know, I always hear people say, you can't find deals on the MLS. Like, you can't do that. I was like, well, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the person that's, I like to do the things other people say you can't do. So I found our first deal on the MLS. It was like a Friday afternoon, um, four o'clock in the afternoon, bing, this new property pops up. It was an over and under for like $130,000. I ran all the reports and everything. And I had been at a luncheon, uh, the real luncheon that afternoon. And there was a client that was interested. I'm like, Hey, I found this one. It's going to be a good deal. I didn't even look at it for me at first, but I ran all the numbers and, uh, I, I showed it to her and then kind of got ghosted. I didn't get a call back, not interested. So it was, I think it was like Sunday late afternoon. I, I said, Oh, hell with it. I'm putting the offer in. So I put the offer in and said, look, this is only good until tomorrow at 11 o'clock. I thought, well, I know a lot of investors don't necessarily look for properties on the weekend, especially more established seasoned investors. Um, they're probably, you know, spending time with their family and they put in their time probably more scheduled throughout the week. I've said that before. And then seasoned investors told me, nope, nope, we work on the weekend. But if they're not looking at the MLS uh, on the weekend, they might miss the ones that get posted like on a Friday afternoon. Anyways, I was able to land that, land that contract, get it signed and, I think the next day the agent called me and said, man, I got hit by like 10 people, you know, that Tuesday morning, you know, so I was just glad I, I landed that. It's funny. I always post my properties on Thursdays. <laughs> so you got this first deal under contract. Are you guys paying cash for your fund on this one or what's your, what's, what's the approach on it as far as the monies? Okay. So what I did was I remember hearing on a podcast, something about, you know, having a credit line. And I was, I thought to myself, well, Hey, the people that I'm working with, you know, they, they, they make cash offers. This is what I'm competing against. I'm like, how do I make a cash offer? So I went to my banker at Centris. I talked to her and she referred me to a commercial lender at Centris. And so I sat down with her, had the conversation. We got along really well. She's like, look, I think I can put something together. Let me send you something. So what she put together is, um, we would, we have our funds that we pooled at Centris. And we all had to submit, each partner had to submit a personal financial statement. And she set us up with a million dollar credit line. So we've got a million dollar credit line. All I have to do is, you know, detail the property, give her the information. Here's the rehab. Here's my rehab costs. I put together a breakout of here's my project. And then uh, I do comps and run, you know, an after repair value. And I give her all the information. I send it to her and then they run an internal evaluation and tell me, we believe the property will be worth this when you're done. And so far, I'm pretty conservative. So far, the the values the bank has come up with has been higher every single time than the value I've come up with. But I kind of do that by design. I just, I want to make sure, look, my numbers are going to work and I want them to have confidence in me. So, so anyways, um, they will cut a check the day of closing. They'll 
or wire the funds. They'll wire the funds to uh, the bank. And basically it's, I write it as a cash offer and, and they, the bank just handles the, you know, centrist handles that. And then I get six months of interest only payments on the, on the, and then it rolls into a regular, like a 25 or a 20 year am loan. And, um, 25 year am meaning amortization, right? right? So they're, they're taking that loan and spreading it out over 25 years. Correct. Yep. Yep. So they'll amortize it over 20 or 25 years, whatever my preference is. I'm getting like a 4.15% interest rate. And, um, um, so I, I get to continue to use that every time I buy a property, they send me a new letter and says, here's how much money you've got. And I give that as part of my pre-approval. Like, Hey, I got a line of credit. I'm paying cash. I'm just going to pull it out of this credit line. Were you going into this seeking a million dollars or were you, were you surprised at the amount that you were able to get approved? Cause like what you're describing right now is the Holy grail of options when it comes to financing. Newer investors would be like, oh my God, he got a million dollars. Imagine the freedom I could have to make offers. And they'd go out like a kid in the candy store. Well, I'll be honest. When she called me and told me that, I was like, damn, like, okay, a million dollars. So I called my partners. I'm like, hey guys, you know, got a million dollars set up. Uh, we're ready to start buying. And they're like, what? Yeah. So it was pretty, pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. And this was, how long ago was this? Like a couple months? Uh, January. Month? It was, okay. it was, okay. it was January, but didn't buy our first, didn't, you know, I started, became a realtor, uh, started working with investors and stuff. And I didn't get that first property for us until like May. So remarkable restraint, not, it wasn't burning a hole in your pocket, huh? So that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. I, I would say. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to make sure like, I'm going to keep running numbers and make sure I know what I'm doing. I don't think I had analysis paralysis per se, but I just wanted to be very confident that when I started pulling the trigger that my partners trust me. Well, with that, how about we take our first break and we'll come back here in just a minute. Okay. So we're back here with Michael Freed and this next section we like to call the deal breakdown. So, uh, Owen, you want to start the deal breakdown? Sure. Uh, so do you have a property that you'd like to tell us about that we can kind of dig into a little bit more? Uh, certainly it's, um, it's under construction right now. Um, there was a property that I saw. It was a Friday afternoon again. It was about four 30 in the afternoon and I was sitting at my desk at the house kind of looking at properties and going through things and then boom, like new listing popped up and uh, it was for $84,000. It was a two bedroom, two bath down by the zoo, um, down on Valley street, kind of back behind the zoo on the East side. Um, and that's the property. How did you find it? So on the MLS, so it was on the MLS. Uh, so it was a fresh listing. And when I saw it, I, like, I was like $84,000, like I need to take a quick peek at this and it looks super clean. Like it's amazingly clean. This really nice looking property. What? So when you, when you're looking at the MLS, are you doing that through the actual like Omaha area board of realtors login and all that? Or do you have a search saver set up or like, how do you stay on top of like when a new listing pops up? What's your, what's your trick? So all of the above I've got, and it's weird because different listings will pop up in different ways. Um, through the brokerage, uh, you know, all the realtors throw out emails and show their listings. It can almost be an oversaturation, but, uh, I also have searches set up on, on Paragon, on the, on the MLS through the OABR. Um, I've got Trulia and Zillow. They'll throw 
properties at me as well. Like, uh, new for sale by owner new, you know what? So I, I just set up all these searches and even truly like yesterday I saw a property in Benson for $115,000 that I thought, wow, 115 for a two bedroom, one bath in Benson, right by the strip. Looked like a good place. I haven't looked close enough at that one yet. So, so you have the full suite of real estate nerd, uh, package uh, yes. for getting notified yes. of things. Yeah. Nice. So nice. notifications all the time popping in. So you mentioned that you got the uh, property for 84,000. Was that the list price or was that, did you have to negotiate that into that price? And how okay. did that look? So, so the house popped on the Friday. Uh, I don't know if anybody here knows there was a storm that came through town on July, like 9th, 10th. Vaguely heard about knocked it. Knocked down a couple trees, smashed a couple of my properties that we just lost bought. power for five days. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. That storm. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I went and looked at this property Friday night and I'm like, oh man, this looks great. I need to put an offer in on this thing. I mean, it looked great. Had shelf wall work. Like the shelf wall looked really bad. Like it would scare off pretty much. Anybody. And a shelf wall is a wall in the basement that of a, what was a crawl space and they dug it out and you got to leave about three feet of soil around the footing. And then they put a concrete around that. So just so everybody knows what a shelf wall is. It almost sounds like he has a background in foundation work or working for a company. Ted, Ted Thrasher. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, this, the, the actual foundation looked great, but the shelf wall looked terrible. And by the garage, there was some bad drainage issues that, that caused the uh, garage to sink a little bit in one corner. It's a detached, but I thought it looked great. I knew how to fix it. I knew people that could fix it. So, um, Saturday morning trees are down. There's no power anywhere. Uh, I forgot about it and I spent the whole day cutting trees and doing all kinds of stuff. And then I went there Sunday morning. I called my partner. I'm like, Hey, Ed, meet me down at this address seven o'clock in the morning on Sunday. We're going to go look at this thing. So we go down there and there's multiple people, investors there walking around looking at the property. I'm like, man, we better get, we better get this offer in. So, um, we both loved it. I went, I drove around until I found a village Inn that had uh, power and Wi-Fi. And I sat in village Inn, ordered some food, typed up the contract, sent it to the realtor. I said, Hey, here's my offer, but, um, I need to have this thing accepted by like six o'clock tonight, or I'm gonna have to pull my offer. I need to go look at something else. Uh, and I offered asking plus 500 bucks. Cause I knew the numbers looked really good. Anyways, contract came back, signed fast. Nice. Okay. So, um, next question would normally be, how did you fund the deal? I'm assuming this was part of the, uh, um, money bags, uh, line of credit that you got from Centris. Correct. Nice. So, uh, and, and it's like, um, 10% of total project cost. So total project cost was like 106,000, put like $10,600 down. On so this. they require that as a down payment. So you guys have skin in the game. Correct. And then they'll fund the rest of the rest of the project. Correct. Got which, it. which is fine by me. I'm fine with putting some money in right now. So now when you guys get done with a, a like a project like this, so you, you do some rehab work to it. Um, you're done with that. How do you get it off the line of credit? What do you do when you're going to hold it as a rental? Okay. So that, that's where, uh, that first six months it's interest only. Uh, payments. Um, that gives us time to remodel it, stabilize it. But then the banker, um, the commercial lender, she, uh, part of that deal is she rolls it into the loan. It's the 20 or 25 year am. And then it's the 4.15% interest rate. So it's, it's just one smooth process. I don't have to do anything. Nice. And no seasoning period. No, mm, I need your person. <laughs> 
It's yeah. it's a part of the credit line. It's like commercial. I don't know. It's something she does. So real quick, where do you go from here? Um, from here, uh, so I've got the second fund that's almost set up, and I want to start buying probably in the next six weeks. So uh, fund two, and then I've actually got investors lining up for fund three, which I think I want to start buying properties probably in December for that. So um, what I need to do is figure out how to monetize this. How do I get paid for managing the rehabs that we do as part of these partnerships? I'm still fine with sharing, sharing, you know, equity equally, but uh, just to figure out how do I get, you know, how to monetize it? How do I get paid for the work that I do with, uh, I get paid obviously for the commission on the ones that we buy on market and that sort of thing. Um, but just to figure out how to get paid. And then after that, after these first couple funds, then I think I'm going to look at a different model where maybe people I'll have a track record and I'll have a few portfolios. I can show people here's, here's how much money we're making. Here's how we're doing. Here's how much equity we're building in and I'll have averages. So once I do that, then I plan to attract funding from investors and maybe I have a smaller amount of skin in the game, but equal equity. Uh, I'll figure it out. One thing you might consider is uh, having a, a project management fee included in there. So like a 10% is pretty standard for GC or, or a PM fee. So you might consider doing a project management fee. I don't think any of your investors, although I don't know them, but I don't think anybody would gripe about paying 10% of the project cost, right? So yeah. you might consider that. Um, and then acquisition fees are pretty common, especially in syndications, which is more or less what you're doing. Right. So you're taking a pool of investor money, you're deploying that into a project. And then um, it's very common for acquisition fees, project management fees. And then there's also um, asset management fees, too. So if you're going to be on the hook for project or for not just the project management, but the property management, we haven't talked about that, but that might be something to consider as well. Absolutely. Um, and I had read about and, and heard about some of these, you know, like the, the acquisition fee and, and but uh, that that's good. Like, I might have to be one of those guys that you go to lunch with at one of these points in time, but <laughs> love to just a little push there. <laughs> hey, well, uh, let's, uh, wrap up. And uh, we always like to wrap up with what we call the fabulous fun. <laughs> <laughs> Our voices are getting better and better. Yeah. At <laughs> you should, you want to try that again? Uh, let's do it again. Okay, right. great. Fabulous five. Uh, that's yeah. good. Yeah. That, was a little, that was a little uh, soprano. Yeah. I, I purposely Actually, didn't do it because I just thanks, wanted to hear your pretty voice. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that, uh, can you tell us what book you're reading right now? Uh, it's by Chris Voss. I think it's called Never Split the oh, Difference. Great, Negotiation great book. Of that book. Excellent. I'm not... I, that works in your personal life as much as it works in your business life. I'm just going to just leave you that advice. That is true. So, uh, what is your favorite podcast at the moment? Um, at the moment, I, I'm just wrapping up probably like I started on bigger pockets. Number one, about a year and a half ago. There's a lot of them by now. There's a lot. And so I've got probably 12 left. Um, my favorite podcast ever. Uh, I really loved history of Rome which was amazing. Um, if you're a history nerd, history of Rome, I think his name was Mike something. I highly recommend that. Interesting. I, I just haven't gotten, I don't think I've listened to one podcast that wasn't a real estate or business minded podcast. So I got to explore my, I got broaden your horizons. Well, let me say this, listen to history of Rome and you see a parallel with America's rise and where we're at right now with exactly what happened in Rome. It's super interesting. Great. 
That sounds... <laughs> I'm optimistic now. I, I did listen to my, uh, my very first <clears throat> book that wasn't a business-oriented book. It was called Dethroning the King. Is that a romance novel? No, it's a story of Budweiser. Oh, and, okay. And how they rise and fell. So it's kind of an interesting story. Um, any passions or hobbies that you... Uh, a passion of mine. Uh, so my middle son is autistic. He's got Asperger's syndrome. So it's like a high functioning autism. They now they say you're on the spectrum. Um, and through Project Search, he was able to um, secure a job out of high school. It's an adult transition program. Um, I I'm pretty passionate about, you know, people with special needs being productive, like members of society and, and going out and they can, they don't have to be considered a drain on the, so they can be contributing members of society or whatever. Um, so, uh, I want him to get into real estate as well. And I've talked to him about it a lot and he's, he's actually starting to get excited about it. And my thoughts are, you know, um, if he could, buy some properties and have multifamily properties, a place to live, you know, an income that will take care of him while he lives there. Uh, because I'm not going to live forever. You know, I could die of a heart attack or COVID or who knows, who knows. But, um, uh, my passion is that, you know, to help him and, and then hopefully through that, maybe help others do the same thing down the road. Um, it's a pretty early stage thought, but awesome. Uh, one, so you kind of talked about this a little bit, but, uh, how are you able to change your mindset to get started in investing? Um, mindset change was, it was kind of a gradual thing. I just kept reading books and listening to podcasts and talking to people and thinking, you know what, everything I've ever done, I've always succeeded at, you know, when I put my nose down and I work at it and I thought, you know what, I can do this. I, I can walk away from this job making $170,000 a year. So I, I just, I don't know. It just, it gradually changed. And then all of a sudden it just clicked and I just, the, I can do this. I'm not scared. Last question is how does mindset change affect your love life? No, I'm joking, joking, <laughs> joking. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually I have a bonus question if I could, uh, how, when did you decide to grow such a tremendous mustache? I think, uh, for those that are just listening and don't see this, you, you're really not getting the full appreciation of, uh, of this. It was much fuller when I first met you. Yeah. I I'm truly the envy of firemen and policemen everywhere. Okay. Uh, how long has this been happening? I have to know. There is a little bit it's of a story bugging. behind us. So, um, <laughs> I was at that project, uh, that big data center project across the river, uh, rhymes with boogle. Um, anyways, um, I was going into these meetings and getting my ass kicked every single day. Well, like, it, it was a new position. I had to create the position and I didn't really know what I was doing. And I just walked into this tornado and I was just getting beat up every single day. And I just, I kept studying and learning and it was about two or three months in and I'm like, I'm getting this figured out. I know what I need to do. I started building some systems and then my, the president of my company walked through and he's got this big mustache. And, and I remember listening to somebody talk about how when they sat across the table, they felt like if they had the biggest, most powerful neck, like their thing was they worked out and they had a big neck that at a board meeting table or whatever, that they 
had a superpower. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to grow a great big mustache <laughs> and it's going to be like Samson in his hair. Like that's going to be my power. And when I walk into these meetings, it actually worked like it. I, people would, you know, I felt like I could intimidate people in some of these meetings and grow a mustache. It, it's a superpower. It's <laughs> tremendous. Yeah. Tremendous. Okay. So now that we have a fabulous six going on right now, so if uh, somebody wants to know more about you, wants to work with you as, as far as an investor and in finding more uh, investment opportunities, or they want to possibly partner with you, how can somebody get a hold of you? What's the best way to communicate with you? Um, I'm online, of course, on Facebook and on Instagram. I really don't have a huge social media presence. What's I, your Instagram handle? Uh, it's Big Papa Stash. Big Papa Stash. Big Papa Stash. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am at all the RIA meetings. I go to the Omaha Real Estate Meetup. Um, I'm at the RIA luncheon every month. So if you come out and get into the community and go to those types of events, which I highly suggest if you're not doing that, you're doing yourself a disservice, go to those things, uh, meet people, talk to people. That's a great place to, to meet me. Do you have an email or phone number you want to put out there? Uh, 402. 707-0393. Reach out, hit me up if you want to chat about real estate, have a cup of coffee if you got some pointers for me or if there's anything I can help with you or hook you up with uh, a lender or whatever. So, cool. Well, uh, I just want to do a big thank you to you, Michael Fried. I appreciate you coming out. Uh, Owen, thanks for being an amazing uh, host on the show. Uh, I want to do a, a shout out to our sponsors, Liquid Lending, Orange Property Management, Premier Claim, Schlick Construction, Solid Roofing, Franklin Zachariah, and Midwest uh, Title uh, for all they, they do for us. Uh, but hope that we can have this conversation again in a year and hear about your three funds, all the things that you're doing. And uh, it's been exciting seeing the things you've done in such a small period of time. And uh, I mean, it's only going to get bigger and better for you. Thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Real, real treat. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of Ted Cash Money Investing, I'm Owen Money Dashner. And uh, our special guest, Michael, Mr. Money Mustache, free. Signing off. Signing off. Actually, there is a Mr. I know that. (laughs) Golden Nugget.